Uh, welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast. We're living up to our name again. It's been a while since Tommy and I have done a show, but it gives us a chance to actually talk about quite a bit that we have to talk about. And uh, it makes for better podcasting, I think, rather than yeah. repeating ourselves over and over again. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, life came at me in February between... Life came know, at all of us in February, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was going to have a February prospect rankings, and then it became end of February, and now it's going to become beginning of March, Ides of March prospect rankings. Uh, I, You know, I have them all done. I'm just, you know, I have the draft. I'm just working through it when I when I get time, but things keep stopping me. Yeah, we're going to um, get to some draft things uh, yeah. in this first discussion, I think. There's a lot to get to, obviously. We were going to talk about the Panthers and what's going on with them, Flyers, there's a bunch. Uh, we first want to obviously start with what's happening with uh, Russia and Ukraine because, of course, it affects hockey, and obviously none of us are in any way supporting war. It's disgusting, uh, and the pictures are harrowing, and we support the people of Ukraine, as most everyone does. Uh, the things we want to get to are related, obviously, to athletes and what is happening with the sport's response to this, and there are a lot of things that happened that became very obvious, FIFA banning Russia from the World Cup, the IIHF banning them from the World Juniors and the World Championships, and Roman Abramovich selling Chelsea, all this became very obvious that this was going to happen. But because there was such a huge Russian influence in the NHL and in the sport of hockey, we should talk about this. And I think it's a complicated matter. When you see what Dan Milstein, the agent, is tweeting as he represents a lot of Russian clients, what his clients are going through, it's, it's terrible. Like, None of us support war. None of us support the Russian president's objectives. But we shouldn't also take light of the fact that sending horrific abuse to Russian players on social media is not the way to go here. In many cases, these players don't support what is happening. Some of them can tweet that and say that publicly. Others cannot because it's Russia. And there's a complicated dance going on with some of these players, as in they have families in Russia. Who knows what could happen to their families if they say something? Many of those families, would they be able to come here? You don't know. And I think that's a case for every Russian player in the league right now is going through that to some degree. And I think that makes it its really hard to know what they are specifically going through. I heard somebody mention it's like we come at this from a North American mindset, from how we view it in the U.S. and Canada. And we don't necessarily grasp how different Russia is. I think maybe during this entire situation, we now get a glimpse of how different Russia is. And I think for the Russian players, we have to keep that in mind. Like, if they don't support the war, there is a real reason for them to not say anything because they will have legitimate fears of blowback at home. They have family. In many cases, I think the Russian authorities probably know where they live. The higher profile the player, I think that might be more of a case than ever before. And we'll get to it with a specific player in a second. But as much as yeah. we all hate this war and it's disgusting and we support the people of Ukraine, watching these players get abused who are, in many cases, just hockey players who happen to be Russian, you know, in many cases, we don't know whether they support this or not. Some of, us, some of them have the ability to say that they don't. We can't be seeing the abuse that they're getting. That's not fair to them. Yeah. It's not fair to them, and it's, again, they play for all these different teams. In the end, they're very good hockey players. In many cases, they're not terrible human beings. They're good people. We're not talking Slav Voinov here. 
you know, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I'm lucky to be naive in, in things of war and you know, that's, I, I can't really, I know I can't really say much, but to me, it's just, this is Russia, not Russians. And I, 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 I think, you know, obviously everybody, it's, it's, their own case, but we, we always talk about, you know, or not, we always talk about, cause it's a hockey podcast, but you know, with nine 11, we know Islamophobia and, and, and what, how that escalated and, you know, with COVID and, and stop Asian hate. And we have, we have to be consistent in how we apply. It doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And, you know, I, I just think, you know, whether it's the hockey players or whether it's the the military or, you know, the, at the end of the day, a lot of this, these people involved are 19 to 21, 22. Like, these are young kids who are, you know, I, it, it's it's just really hard to think about. And I don't understand why there's such a zeal and zest to go out of your way to punish and you know be brutal for brutal sake or cruel for cruel sake um to people who for the most part are powerless or at least not the ones in power not the ones who benefit not the ones who are making decisions um like the idea that yeah. the chl is going to ban russian and belarusian players from the import draft is stupid what is that accomplishing I, well, I tell me what that's accomplishing. It's accomplishing. I can't nothing. understand. I mean, we we've had red scares in this country. We've we've seen internment camps in World War II. I mean, obviously we haven't seen them. I'm being colloquial when I speak here, but um, like it, it's I it's mind numbing to think that we're, it's going to happen again, and you know, in some in some way. So. I'm I'm not for it. I, I'm usually never for bans or mandates or anything, you know, across as, the as board. As I said, but... I think the idea that you had to ban Russia from these international sports competitions and ban their athletes, yeah. like I understand I, that I, completely. I, There's I, not much you could have done. And I'm differentiating between that, of course, and you know, whether I have an opinion or not, I understand why you can't have these teams. And we've talked about it with doping, how. I didn't. I don't think that there should be a, a Russian Olympic Committee team. No one thinks that you know, should have if, been then. Of course not. You know, or like you know those half measures or stuff. I, I'm just talking about if players want to be able to play professionally, where they don't, you know, they're not playing under, or you know, change their nationality to play under a different flag or something. Fine. Yeah. Whatever. But like, it's denying opportunities of you know prospects when they're in the most important years of development, um, it, it, I understand, you know, I understand people are hurting or people are just trying to show that they're tough against Putin or, you know, that they're, you know, on the moral right side or as, as much as they can. And, and they feel that they, they don't control things. And this is one thing they can control. Um, but I think even as a symbolic nature, it's, it's negative. It, it doesn't really help, and I think we're going to get to that with the draft, too. The idea that Russian players' stock is falling just because of this is, I think, in many ways, like, these kids are not eligible to fight in war. They are just hockey players. There's not much they could have done. 
Now, I understand in some regard, if you're saying it's going to be hard to get them over here in the short term, higher level prospect, I understand that. Uh, that, that would make sense, but that's about the only way it would make sense to me. And the idea that, again, these players are being sent abuse, like current NHL players, no matter who they are, what team they play for, again, they're not here because of any issue related to what's happening in Ukraine. They're hockey players. Some of them may have supported Putin, and they don't say it. Some of them don't, and may not say it for other different reasons. We need to ensure that those players still want to be here. They're getting paid a lot of money, and I think a lot of them want to be here, but the league's better because we have these players, you know? And I think we have to ensure that they feel safe in a time like this because I don't think anybody saying the things that they're saying knows truly what those players are going through. And for every team that has Russian players on it, and that's pretty much every team in the league, you hope that psychologists are there helping them get through this. This relates to the Panthers, it relates to the Flyers, it relates to all the best teams in the league. And the Flyers are not one of them, but it relates to everybody. That you just have to help them get through this time because none of us can fully, I think, appreciate what they're going through. And the last thing I want to mention on this, because we don't want this to be the, this podcast on this topic, because it's obviously overwhelming. I think for a number of us, talking about hockey and talking about the game itself allows us to not have to think about what's happening in Ukraine for at least a few minutes, and that's helpful for all of us. I mean, you and I have both gone through just hell dealing with this and seeing it. It's, it's tragic. It's horrifying. The one thing we will talk about, which is individual players speaking out, I don't know if an individual speaking out is going to be able to necessarily do that much. We've seen Russian athletes step up and say, no, this is obviously bad. And there are NHL players that have done that. But the talk about Alex Ovechkin is a complicated topic. Because Alex Ovechkin is undoubtedly one of the greatest hockey players of all time, has undoubtedly made all of our lives better because we've gotten to watch him play. We know he supported Putin. Whatever he said the first time he made comments about this, whatever you think about that, to me, I think the, it is extremely complicated with him because not just of the relationship with Putin, but because of his symbolic nature as a very high-profile Russian athlete in a sport that matters a lot to the Russian people. His family lives in Russia, and I hate saying it, but the Russian police and the Secret Service, the FSB, they know where they live. Like, Alex Ovechkin's got to tread very carefully, and the idea that he's going to go around to all these different cities and get booed just like, I think we need, I understand at a time like this, there is no nuance. I get it. But we need nuance in the situation. And I think we need nuance with every individual Russian player for what they want to say or what they don't want to say or what they feel they can't say. I think we need nuance. And in a lot of situations, in a lot of pieces, I don't see nuance. I saw one piece um, from somebody I know very well, Kevin Blackstone at the Washington Post. I took his classes at Maryland, and he is great in the intersection of sports and politics and culture. And he compared a lot of what's going on now to how South Africa was completely excluded uh, from sports around the world during apartheid. And that didn't change anything, obviously, immediately. Uh, but it was a statement the world made. Um, I think, can Alice Ovechkin change the way this is going on his own? I, I mean, I would love to think that he can, but I don't think that's possible. And none of us know what's going through his head. None of us know what he knows that we, the rest of us don't. And I don't think grafting that onto him at a time like this is helpful. In or, a way we not just talk about him, but the situation in general. I think we just need more nuance. Ovechkin, 
to me is a different case. And I mean, to me, at least he's just a careless person who's tied himself to a politician for all of the glory and for all of the monetary and um, just tangible benefit it gets him back home. Uh, And then he's had the ability to disavow him or whatever because, you know, at home and and his fame and celebrity and the Washington Capitals PR department has allowed him to, and the NHL PR department has allowed him to get away with it but i mean i i think there are some consequences when you do tie yourself to a politician like that when you do have a quote-unquote public buddy buddy you know friendship over you know documented over decades with somebody starting you know recruitment foundations or campaigns or whatever you want to call it team putin in in 2016 that's recent relevant history um, you know, and in 2014, there's comments he's made, um, you know, and, you know, it, it's, it's, you can, I, I think, you know, at some point you can say, all right, this, you know, I don't know what you want to do with that information, but to me, I can just differentiate Alex Ovechkin from a lot of other Russian athletes based on their public persona and what they've chosen to put out there and show and benefit and you know um but yeah benefit from yeah that that's fair enough and i understand that ovechkin is different case but i still think we need to understand like if he speaks out there are undoubtedly consequences that we cannot possibly understand and there is, and maybe he doesn't want to speak out. Maybe he supports the, we don't know. But I'm just saying the situation's complicated, and I get where you're coming from. And I think people do understand that. But, and, and I'm going to say this, too, about what Dominic Hoshik said at banning Russian players. That's just, again, stupid. We're not, these players, in large regard, I don't think support this. And banning Russian players does not actually make this situation better. It's a blunt for an instrument that doesn't actually change, and it just makes you feel good that you did something when you didn't actually do anything. And again, these Russian players make the league better. I don't think many of these Russian players obviously support what's happening. I think about what happened to Artemi Panarin a couple years ago, right? When he was with when he's with, with the Rangers and what happened with his family. Like, how concerning is that? Like, again, this is what's I think going through a lot of these players' minds, and they certainly don't feel comfortable talking about it publicly. How comfortable they feel talking about it privately with their teams is something that I think is interesting. Um, and again, none of us know where this is going to end. We pray it ends as immediately as possible with peace. That's what we all hope for. And the hope is that these players feel mentally in the right space to play. And if they don't, I can't blame them in the slightest. But it's up to the teams now in the league to make them feel safe. I understand what the league did, you know, banning, partnering with Russian companies, all that. I get it. Those are some of the things you have to do because in this case you had to do it. But the players themselves are not responsible for that. And so I think we need to consider the individual players in this situation, of course. And that's just, again, the nuance that I think we need in a time when it's hard to have nuance. I get it. But we felt that we needed to get that point out of the way because it is a complex issue and it very much affects hockey on a day-to-day basis. And we needed to get that out. And 
I hope we, we're not the best people to talk about this, as I say. Like, there are people out there who are way, way, way smarter than us who will talk about this to a degree that we cannot. But I think we just needed to get our point across because it is a pressing issue that will continue to be pressing for hopefully as short a time as possible. I cross my fingers and pray to whatever deity you like that will help us get through this as soon as humanly possible so this war will end. Uh, now we can move on to other topics around the world of hockey. And you want to talk just briefly about the draft list, and it will come out eventually. Um, um, well, I was thinking about it, but now we got a lot to talk about today. So let's just get moving, and uh, I'll just put more words into the post. So yeah. uh, whyhockeyprospects.substack.com, yeah. blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yes, whyhockeyprospects.substack.com is where you'll find that. I want to say the only thing prospects that I thought about is I when I watched the Olympics, just briefly the Olympic tournament was fun. Uh, in its own way, it wasn't obviously what we would have liked, but it was decently fun. Slavkovsky and Nemec for Slovakia. Like, I think some people were worried like where Slovakia and hockey was going, and you get to see those two young players play a really big role. Uh, both of them are probably going to be – they might both be top ten picks next year. Uh, they're both pretty yep. good. I, they're, Slikovsky, I think, on, the, on one hand, is really good. Like, that was, he was a lot yeah. of fun to watch. Yeah, I, and, you know, obviously people are going to point at – you know, his shooting percentage being like 40% or something ridiculous like that. Um, you know, there is a lot of luck involved. Um, and it, like you said, it's not the best Olympics. There's, you know, if you, if you look at some of the guys on there, you know, the ghost of Daniel Winnick was on team Canada. So, um, I mean, the U S team at it, least played more young players and gave them a right. chance. Canada <laughs> yeah. did, what Canada, Canadian hockey shouldn't be doing. Uh, they were terrible. Our, our uh, friend Devin Levi was there, but did not get to play. That was stupid. Why um, bring him if you're not going to play him? He was, again, stupid. For the experience. U.S. played the young yeah. players and gave him a chance. You know, I saw yeah. Matty Veneers. I saw Brendan Brisson. I saw some of these other young players, uh, Matthew Knies, and they played decently well. You know? Yeah. They, they weren't bad. I mean, that's what this tournament should have been about for the U.S. and Canada. It was not for Canada. Um the, on the women's tournament, just for a second, I mean, I've yeah, been trying definitely. to put together a women's hockey show, have not been able to do it, but I will continue to work on it. Um, if you I'm are excited. a women's hockey expert and you'd like to come on to Y Hockey to talk about this, please <laughs> do. Um, I know, obviously, you had high interest in this tournament, particularly because of one player, unfortunately, played for Canada. Yeah, two, yeah, there were two players on Canada from from Princeton. And, in case um, people don't know why you have a uh, an affinity for Princeton I women's know. hockey, I think you should explain that. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, my wife played for Princeton uh, on their D one team, and uh, so I've I've got to you know watch a lot of games live there, and they're an exciting team, and you know it's one of the best rinks i think to watch a hockey game it's definitely the best i think rink to play on uh consistently in practice on um there'd be a lot of fun for sure uh you, you might history, get some but... calls from people at cornell i've got a lot of cornell people in my family i've got harvard people in my family yeah yeah cornell's uh, we'll nice talk about those two ranks but, uh, but uh we'll leave no, that i, I got a soft spot for that for princeton but yeah so that's that's why in case people didn't know that i don't so it I don't was we talked about that publicly on the podcast but in case people didn't no, know, that's why. I, I don't you like know to. Now. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. No, well, I think it's fair to say your wife played for Princeton. And, uh, you know, I mean, that. listen, well, I have I didn't play for any teams at my college at, at the University of Maryland, <laughs> but I have an intense devotion to the University of Maryland athletic department. So 
yeah. college athletic devotion is is very common and you know i i didn't play it, anywhere if you know if you have espn plus i think you can probably go back and watch this weekend series against harvard but uh princeton is the first eight seed to beat a number one seed in a series uh in ecac history and they earned it i mean they 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 played some great hockey and it so, was some of the best best games on that weekend for sure mm, yes and i want to and i want to say obviously sarah affiliate is great yeah um, i think just from my perspective watching it not knowing that as much about women's hockey as i'd like to like it felt from all that I had read and all that I had heard from people who knew what they were talking about that this U.S. team wasn't as good as Canada, and they weren't. Um, they didn't get destroyed by them. They kept it close because every U.S.-Canada game is close. It's a rivalry game. But that team didn't have the same level of talent. I w- you were reading pieces about you know how the U.S. wouldn't play some of the younger players and how they're kind of caught between the generation that won the 2018 gold medal. Yeah. Not all those players are there. Bree Decker got hurt immediately. So that didn't yeah, help. And they relied too helps. much on the old guard. And, like, that's a very hockey thing. And Canada was able to go from, you know, the generation they had. And now they have Sarah Fillier. They have Sarah Nurse. They have all these great players that are emerging. Um, but, like, the, the question, and I don't know whether you, we're the right people to answer that, but, like, the U.S. got tested a lot more in this turn. Canada blew by everybody except the U.S. But, they, but the U.S. got tested by a lot of different teams. So... My thought was, and again, I'll try to explore this on a women's hockey podcast in the future. Like, does it feel like the rest of the sport got better because other teams were challenging the U.S.? Or was that an artifact of this U.S. team was kind of down a little bit and Canada was just this destroyer of worlds, maybe the best team ever? I don't know. But it was a thought that I've been having, and I'd like to have people on the show who know more about that than yeah, you tell me. I, 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 have, I have my opinions, uh, of course, but like you said, I'm not there's a lot of more people who are more embedded and, and have a way better perspective I, I will, on this. I will probably but... ask Jeff Merrick about this because Merrick is doing a lot of good reporting on the women's game recently. And I'm, that's really cool. So I might ask him about that. Yeah. Because obviously there's I... a lot of talk now about the PWHPA being more affiliated with teams. You have the PHF who does not have a commissioner yeah. after getting uh... all this stuff that looked to be really positive. It, it's a very interesting time in the women's game. It really is. And it's one of those things where you don't quite know where this is heading. And yeah. if, what, whatever the direction is, I hope it's good for the game of women's hockey in general because the strong women's hockey is good for hockey, period. Yeah. I'm, when it comes to USA hockey, I, I think that they, they are a bit stale. They're a bit out of ideas and, and maybe doing a little more marketing than um, – roster building uh at, at times like it's been like it's been said and listen uh, i get that as somebody who follows women's soccer i completely understand why you want to do that i mean i'm not saying that the, like this women's team in 2018 had a lot of stars on it and i'm not yeah. saying any of them are like it's hard to compare them to some of the stars the, of the, USA the difference is you know as as the women's games progress you know a big part of that is people are looking to different places to get talent and USA hockey in many ways has not been looking to different places. Yeah, to get It's kind talent. of like the university of Wisconsin just kind of builds that team on its own. And I'm not yeah, sure. And in the past it's it. been just Harvard and, or just BC and Minnesota or just, you know, like there's, there's definitely been patterns in USA women's hockey that you can, you can track. Um, and I, you know, you look at Canada, they, 
you know, their be- I think one of the best defensemen came from Princeton, uh, and one of the best forwards came from Princeton, and you know that was is technically a new a new pool, a new pond that they can pull talent from. And, uh, you know, if you look up and down the Ivy League, uh, there's definitely a lot of talent that can be pulled from. And, you know, the game is rapidly changing. So the, if you hold on to somebody at an extra Olympics, an extra four years, that's a jump in, in, in talent level. That's a jump in how the game's played, how the game's processed, the, the systems, the coaching styles. How can, can I just say that both U.S.-Canada games at the Olympics, they felt like Stanley Cup playoff games. And I'm not meaning to compare that for the sake of just comparing no. it. Like, they felt like Stanley Cup playoff games. Well, I like, mean... The quality was incredibly good. Yeah, and, and, the, and, you know, not to have, you know, that kind of cliche phrase, but the compete was really good. I mean... It was detailed hockey for the most part, and you know it was battling sixty minutes, and you know a lot of it, a lot of that battle was, you know, territorial and fighting for pucks and and fighting to maintain possession and and you know kind of a little bit of that playoff style trench warfare. So you know, or I shouldn't say trench warfare. There's well, you know what you mean. Yes, turn of praise these days. I should get that out of my system, but yeah. Um, yeah, like that, uh, you know, in tight spaces, very close one-on-one hockey and, and, uh, you know, supporting the puck being underneath the puck and, and making sure that you're on the right side of your, your, your opposition match and, and, you know, getting a good stick and, and, and things like that, not telegraphing your passes and, and always being on because, at one point, it gets down to one lucky bounce goal that makes the difference in these tournaments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope that for the greater good of yeah. women's hockey, and, that more is coming like yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean the good news is there's going to be that Olympic rematch in Pittsburgh. They're they're trying to build off of this and in a unique and creative way, you can say um, with. Uh, the the players association putting on the rematch in Pittsburgh at PN, PNG or PPG or what I don't know PPG the, Paints Arena yes yeah um, Paints Arena yeah um, and and the new league that's coming that should have network and NHL support and coming out of that and you're hoping to see those players plus you know those younger players we talked about um, joining that joining that league and, and moving the game forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that this is, the, again, we hope that these are the jumping off points for the women. Like, this is the moment for women's hockey every four years. You have the Olympics. Yeah. It's not like the women's uh, soccer game that has an Olympics and a World Cup in back-to-back years where you can build yeah. off and, of that. And, and people say, well, how do you get closer Olympic hockey games and women's hockey in, in, the, in, the, in the round robin games, you know? Having a truly elite, best-on-best professional hockey league where women from around the world can go play and live on a salary and not have to have another job or, you know, do all this other stuff, you know, focus on hockey, get paid to play hockey, and work on their craft. That is going to have national teams put money and invest in their national team so they can send... Women you'll to have this players league, that, et cetera. you know, develop in whatever country, and 
they'll come over to play U.S. college hockey. Yeah. Like, to... I think that a lot of this, like, again, the U.S. and Canada have advantages that all these countries don't have. Canada has, you know, being Canada, the U.S. has Title IX. Like, all these things exist. But you see it in a lot of different sports where a bunch of athletes come over from all around the world and they get to play college sports. And it helps. You know, I think for women's hockey, like, there's a huge amount of growth that could come from people from Sweden well, and Finland. I mean, if you if you if you look at D1 rosters now compared to five years ago, you'll see the amount of growth in European players, um, especially in in the ECAC in you know the Northeast. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, I I mean that's just because that's the rosters I, I know more of, um, but I. I, I think you're right. It is, you know, wherever that league is or whatever that league is, you know, if it's in North America, the college leagues will get an influx of those players too. And you'll um, see more schools say, you yeah. know, we want a women's hockey team. You know, I think that that's helpful. I, like, I, I think that's also helpful, like, for men's college hockey too. Like, the more big-name schools that get – I understand it's regional – but the more big name schools that get hockey programs, the bigger the sport becomes. You know, that's that's. I mean, it's been a thought. Like, there's plenty of big name programs out there in men's college hockey too, but such as the, such as the. And I hope that happens with women's hockey as well. So that want to get the women's hockey discussion in there. Uh, there is undoubtedly more, hopefully, to come when we have people who know the women's game better. Because by the time yeah. we next do a show, who knows what could be happening in the women's game? So much changes so fast. And, um, just, and and last note that Olympic rematch game, uh, better Matheson uh, is going to be a guest coach you know, on I the U.S. Give, team. I have to give I have to give credit to Mike Matheson in general because I was uh, seeing some stats about him. Uh, he's had a good time in in Pittsburgh. That trade worked out for everybody. And, and he's, credit to him. He he's Pittsburgh's it. Brandon Montour, as in he's just an athletic person who plays on a really good team you so he gets Brandon Montour ended up being far better in Florida than I ever thought he was going to be and Mike Matheson still ended up wouldn't pay him Pittsburgh that I ever thought he'd be I still wouldn't pay him what they're getting paid and wouldn't have them on my I team mean, though we're not GMs but I mean hey I give credit to Mike Matheson after how it ended in Florida doing what he's doing but in Pittsburgh. he deserves credit for that. anyway Emily so Matheson I would guest like to coach a couple She's of awesome. other points before we move on to the, the we're going to get to the Flyers later we're going to also get to the Panthers because there's stuff we want to talk about with them I just want to talk about a couple other brief things in the league. Um, we're going to talk about Marty St. Louis in Montreal. Because you and I were talking before <laughs> we pressed the record button about this thing you're talking about, the Marty St. Louis paradox, which yes. is, is trademarked to us. And I want you to explain what you're talking to me about. So, and, uh, yeah, the it, Marty... it's very interesting, this thought. <laughs> the Marty St. Louis paradox is this, that Marty St. Louis as a head coach in Montreal, both embodies a new progressive box-shattering head coach, as at the same time he also embodies the completely old-school, traditional Montreal, you know, original six-type coaching hiring. And uh, it, it's hard to really think about it any other way once – once I've thought about it, 
that way. And and I, you know, it's like, it's fun, but out of the box higher because he hadn't coached at really any high level previously. Right. And now he's, he hasn't coached at any level really. I mean, he, I have more coaching experience at higher levels than Marty St. Louis before he coached in the NHL. That's, that's that's a true statement. It's crazy to say that. And it's true. That's a true statement. And, uh, you know, one of my first thoughts was I don't I didn't understand why they didn't have him like come on as an assistant coach for the rest of the year, get some bench experience, you know, kind of be the the hand behind the throne that like directs things and runs things and everything like that and gets his feet wet and everything. But he's a little protected. And then you bounce and, you know, you can, you know, you have an interim coach for the time being that can then, you know, become his trusted, you know, um, you know, tenured assistant coach, um, next year. I, I, you know, like, I just thought, I don't want to make a, a a football analogy, uh, sorry, European football analogy, but it was kind of like Terry Henry becoming a, 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 you know, a coach. Like he just kind of was rushed into position and, you know, it kind of worked in the beginning. He didn't do very well at Monaco. He was, Better but like Montreal, but not great. He has flashes, you know? He um, is a good pundit, by the and, way. And I will same, say that. He is a good pundit. Yeah, and, and we've seen this before where, like, you these, – these guys these, – these, they could be great coaches, but maybe what's – the flaws is they haven't worked out their habits. They haven't worked out how they want to run things. They haven't, you know – and – the more data they get, the more experience they get, the better they are to able to put their own stamp and think about like, this is the way we're going to practice. This is how I'm going to schedule practices throughout a year. This is how I'm going to handle, you know, the, the travel. This is, you know, this, you know, and, and yes, Marty St. Louis has a, a good experience as, as a player through it, as a captain, as a leader, winning cups, very successful, many, you know, few deep playoff runs, outside of cups um, where he's been, you know, an MVP type candidate and that's not for nothing, you know, but Wayne Gretzky had better success and, you know, look at him, you know, and, and it's not just him, it's many others. And you don't want to just appeal to that authority or, or that past. Um, but I, I would have shielded him in a market like Montreal a little better it's worked for now, but the thing is, there's been no other shoe. There's been no adversity. What happens when that comes? You know, what happens next year when they're still bad? Um, and his idea of, you know, everything being a four-game series, you know, grows a little old when they're not getting a, the same results and things like that. What what happens then? Um, I mean, I, I here's my opinion with, with this. Like, and, and having, obviously been on Andrew Berkshire's show to talk about the Canadians when they were playing an ECHL team against the Panthers and seeing that team, you know, like, are they playing, like they're playing better. How much of it's a dead cat bounce? It's hard to know. Um, They can't get saves. So it's also hard to know what's going to happen with that team when poor Sam Montebo is getting shelled every night, you know, things of that nature. Again, shelled is probably not the right term to use at this time, but we have to get out of bad habits and it takes time. I think for me, like it's in, as you said, it is some ways it's a big risk in other ways. It's very hockey. 
And I think that it's hard to know where it's going to go because you can see NHL teams, at least at this point, going for the appearance of trying to do something different, even if they're not doing something all that different. Chicago. Well, we'll get to them in a second. But, like, I, I don't think the Canadians are playing badly. As somebody pointed out, if the only thing that happens for Montreal under Marty St. Louis is Cole Caulfield stops shooting 1%, then that's not a bad thing. Yeah, you know? I mean, they're having fun. And they're this... play, they're, it, I think the thing when they fired Dominique Ducharme, and people pointed this out, is they were so bad. Like, they were bad to the point that an NHL team should not be bad. Like, you can have bad teams. But we were on the level of, this is one of the worst teams we've ever seen. Like, yeah, given the their relative to team. their... They had enough talent that they should win more regular season games. Like, this is an Arizona who was outright tanking in the most naked way possible, and they've been worse than Arizona. Like, no, you can't, like, they weren't trying to tank. Now, they've had a ton of injuries. A lot of things have gone wrong for them, but you, they shouldn't have been this bad. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of just bad, bad vibes in the room, and just, I mean, when you don't, when the entire when it's i bet you you know almost ev- for a lot of the season almost everybody on the bench and a lot of people in that front office every day hated going to work eventually that just continues to eat at itself and re and produce worse and worse results that's just yeah like they had to fire him at some point yeah. because it didn't look like an nhl team yeah and like that was the point yeah and so hiring marty st louis gives you an injection of confidence to at least but play it, hockey the rest of the yeah, way it, it, it's so funny because you know there's so many people who are you know just they they're fight you know if you say anything bad against them oh well the Carolina Hurricanes hired Rod Brindamore and this is just like that it's like well Brindamore had like seven years of like NHL bench ex- experience it's a little also, different we're talking um, about a far better organization in Carolina and again like somebody might even say Andrew Burnett but he was an assistant coach so I mean there's something there like you if yeah, you're gonna do this that, you need to have systems and structures around you to make you look good yeah before that he was just you know, director, personnel, player yeah. personnel, uh, you know, like he had a couple different jobs. Um, you know, Pat Verbeek was hired in, in Anaheim and a lot of people are like, Pat Verbeek who? Like, what has he done since he retired? Well, he spent, you know, a lot of time in Tampa Bay and Detroit. Um, and he's already showing, you know, what that experience can do and i and, and again like vancouver hiring all these people they hired cammy granado they hired Emilia castongay like again the same of it is it might not work but these people have experience and they've worked in hockey quite a bit and they have great ideas as to how to make the sport better like what montreal's trying to do is is not really all that different i think they have they have the unique constraints of being in montreal and needing french speakers and their structure is a testament to that it is a unique structure that I hope for their sake works, but they're starting from zero. But what, what's the structure? Zero, what's the structure? Jeff Gordon and friends. Well, okay. I mean, because like, like listen, it's, Bill it's, Zito it's, and friends has worked out, and I mean, not like all but it's not work. all Bill Zito and friends. He brought in out. I mean, he brought in, and brought again, in his people, friends yes. weren't the immediate hires, weren't the big hires. I mean, the, I mean, he didn't have to hire hire a coach. 
you know, so we he did we, not have to hire a coach. So we, he didn't we, have you to know, hire a head European scout either. <laughs> but um, you know, like fair point. He he did. I, I he made a lot more hires. I think it's. I think it stands out more when you only make a handful of hires, and ninety percent of them are from like your your kids' prep schools dad circle like i hope um, that's but, not what happens but, I, I hope that's you not know what like happens. that but like that that's but like you know zito is hiring a bunch of people and, and yeah some you know he he i am you know i don't really want to compare anything but i think you know the paradox is they they keep they they they're acting and selling like there's something new but i think at the core of it the only thing new is they're really relying on a lot of no experience and guys just like hey they're like good intelligent hockey people who are just really positive and everyone likes to be around and that's the type of identity we want to build in in our front office which hey that might work i wouldn't do it though i mean because you look at zito he had a lot of experience in a lot of different ways um, do you also find it kind of funny that, again, I'm not saying that this is causation, but the Panthers hire Bill Zito and go from being mediocre to being very good, and the Canadians then hire oh. a G, a, an agent as a GM, even if he's under Jeff Gorton and it's somebody Jeff Gorton knows really well, and yeah. the Canucks then hire Emilia Castonguay as an AGM. Do you not go and think, okay, wait a minute, there's something here, here? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a thought. I mean, the NHL has long been a copycat league. I think it's just, I think you'd have to admit that it's weird that it's copycatting teams that haven't won anything. True. I mean, usually I mean, it's, it's usually it's like the, it's the cup winner or at least the team that's like the president's trophy winner who, you know, goes far and probably should have won the cup but got goal lead or whatever, in, you know, and they try to copy that because they think, oh, well, that's going to win next year. Um, or, you know, Tampa Bay, is what, we're going to try to beat Tampa Bay. Um, we're, By hiring from Tampa yeah. Bay. It's amazing to me that, I mean, that the Ducks hired Pat Verbeek, yeah. but, like, nobody's hired directly from the Lightning. Like, that's what's funny to me. Like, the Lightning have been the best team in hockey for a decade. Like, not even close. And nobody's hired Matthew Darsh or any of these other people who have worked in Tampa's front office. Yeah, and yeah. Maybe, I mean, I, 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 he, like, he should have been hired by Chicago. I mean, I think been. that probably would have. I so, mean, so looking at the list, your, of their let's go to your Marty three. San Luis paradox extension with Chicago, who <laughs> made all the song and dance about hiring Mike Ford Sportsology. You know, that story was particularly funny because he talked about working with Big Sam Allardyce at Bolton Wanderers because everything connects back to the Premier League at this point and Premier League main characters, which is obviously hilarious when you're hearing on a okay. hockey podcast. Oh, I worked with Big Sam. I'm laughing, thinking of the Big Sam stories Al- I know. Big Sam or Alan P? Who would you rather have manage you, oh, your team for oh, one, game. one game? One game you got to win. Big Sam could grind out a 1-0 win. Alan Party's going to do a stupid dance on the sideline, then his team's going to give up three and lose in an FA Cup semifinal. Anyway, that's two in for some of you. I'm thinking of a United Crystal Palace FA Cup semifinal, yeah. which is very funny. Uh, I'm thinking of dance. the same thing, too, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would take Big Sam, although I would not want to go to dinner with him where a journalist might be undercover. Look up that story if you're curious as to what I'm talking about. Um, the man was almost the England manager, or at least he was for like a week. Um, so Chicago, meanwhile, they make a song and dance about all these 23 candidates, right? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, 
they, they, the number they said publicly was not nearly as many as we thought. Like, I think the Panthers legitimately may have interviewed like 20 people. You know, they yeah. really did a search. On the other hand, you have this, which is like, I don't think this search was terrible. Like, again, the idea that they interviewed Jeff Greenberg from the Cubs, I don't think that's a terrible idea. Because there's, there's nothing wrong with getting outside perspectives to look into your organization. The same thing with interviewing the woman from the Raptors, whose name is escaping me, and I'm sorry about that. But, like, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with interviewing Eric Tulski. There's nothing wrong with interviewing Peter Shirelli because Panthers interviewed Peter Shirelli, too. And we all got very nervous about that. But, like, the one thing, I think, with Sportsology-esque hires, I think Sportsology consulted with the Devils, and they hired the interim AGM, right? And then they also did that with the Washington Wizards. I mean, I, there is something to be said that the best guy might already be there. And I understand that the Blackhawks are going to try to sell that they did this search that was, you know, wide-ranging, and I understand that. But in the end, you hired your own guy. And yeah. he might work out. He might. There's no way of knowing that he will or will not work out because this season has been so bad for so many reasons, and he has admitted they need to go into a full yeah. rebuild. I, and, so and, here's, and here's the thing, though. They sold it by saying he's – He's been here since Taves and Kane. He's Taves and Kane's age. He's, you know, they sold it by going back to 2010. Going back, you know, it's just mind-boggling um, for me. And, again, it's great that they did whoever was the Cubs person, you know. I think, but to me, was it, did they just do those interviews just so they could say we did those interviews and put them down. I'm sure they're interesting. The cynic in me but, always says yes, but I don't but think. But looking case, at them, they were never going to be final. They were never going to be the candidate because they just there. There's just too much hurdles. Now maybe they were interviewing them. They were getting far, and it turned into like, would they be a different type of role? Because I think then that would have worked a little better. Um, and, and, you know, I think that a lot of teams should hire a lot of, like, I always say football, European football um, Well, I mean, we kind of tried say, that once with Ralph Kruger, yeah. and that went terrible. Well, but. I, I mean, I, again, that's because you're put it, you're throwing them into head coach, you're, you're throwing them in the – maybe do it, you know, give them a different a role, a unique role of, like, you know, translating and adapting – because I think there is a lot of carryover. I think there is a lot of things that can be learned in having the. You can uh, hire people from any sport. It and doesn't you can give matter. Them any, and you can just give them positions. Like, there's no cap on it. So no. it doesn't, you know. And, and I think Montreal's smart to have Gorton be, you know, the head of things and then hire. Uh, you know, it's, it's after that I haven't really. <laughs> Like the, well, they I, haven't been I thought it's kind of gone a little thing off. I want to say, because the other thing that we, we'll get to the Panthers in a it, second, it, but there's one thing that I've learned from listening to Bill Zito talk on multiple different podcasts, whether it be with Ferraro and Dreger or wherever he's been interviewed. The one thing I got the sense from Bill Zito is it isn't about necessarily the number of people you hire, because the Panthers clearly don't have the ability to hire as many people as some of the richer teams in the league do. It's hiring the right people that jive with your guys Right. And if everybody's pulling in the same direction, whether it's three people or 30, that's when you start succeeding. And Bill Zito told a great story about, you know, how Sonny Mehta, who's the Panthers analytics guy, is working with Rick Dudley and Paul Fenton, who are, you know, dyed-in-the-wool hockey men, and how that's actually worked out quite well. And he's not telling that story unless he has a reason to say it, which is his thing and why the Panthers front office works and what I've been saying needs to be done is 
at this point, analytics are in. Everybody's hiring analytics people. It's a matter of, do your analytics people actually work well with the general direction of what you want your front office to be? Do they work well with your pro scouts, with your amateur scouts? Do they answer questions that you have that takes your organization in a better direction? And for the Panthers, evidently it's working. Because if you look at Shana Goldman always puts out the how many analytics hires your team has, and the Panthers have two publicly, and yet they're still one of the best teams in the league at the moment. So it doesn't matter how many, it matters if you get the right people and you put them in a room together and they jive with one another. We've talked about it a lot on this show. It's people working with people. And I think one of the things in these GM searches that you need is GMs, GMing in the NHL is about managing people, whether it be managing your owner or managing the people you've hired to work with you. And a lot of GMs in this league, that's like Paul Fetton was spectacularly awful at that as a GM for the Wild. Dude was a great scout. Now, he's a good scout because that's all he has to do. Tim Murray, remember, we all laughed at Tim Murray. We were at the draft in Sunrise where he goes on the phrase and say the Sabres take Jack Eichel and then he runs off. The dude clearly hated the public aspects of being a GM, talking to the media, managing the message. He's a much better scout. Like, that's the thing I think NHL teams are starting to have to figure out. And we'll see whether yeah. these front offices, Montreal or otherwise, actually figure that out. And, and that's, that's my question. My, my, my last point is, I, I think, I, I don't know why teams, I don't like when teams bring in a consultancy to, to run the hiring process and all of that. Um, I, I, think, I don't think it's bad if you at least give the consultants an idea of this is what we're looking for. I'm very used to search firms. I follow college football, and that is a big thing, the search firm. I, like, I, it works if you use them correctly. They are not a bank. I, this is good. You know. I, I mean, I think I think you should be able I, – I mean, I think the owner should be able to hire somebody to, you know, like a president, and then the president – can hire people who can then hire, you know, hire their own people. And I think that's to me how you get, it's, it's much, it's much better to get that fit than to constantly be going to consultancy, a consultancy, you know, here and there and if having somebody else structure, right. It's your... amazing how much better everything yeah. works. Yeah. And like... I, yeah, I just don't want to me. I think my point, you know, because I think that was a great point you brought up about the fit. And to me, my I think the teams that get the fit right the best are the teams that know what they're looking for, that they know what that is. And that means doing the hiring, understanding that themselves. And because when somebody else is applying your standards, I don't think it works out as well as when you apply them. Just... It makes and it makes perfect sense because like you could look at recent hires in the league and you can go okay yeah that worked because this team has an idea yeah like, that's I the mean thing I will say on every show again as long as we're not talking about the Philadelphia Flyers as long as we're not talking about the Flyers uh we'll get to them because they do uh, their own hiring and boy wish I oh they did boy not. Uh, let's talk about the Panthers first and foremost because I think you know let's let's get to some of the things we need to talk about first of all we were going to get circle back to the Olympics. Um, and bringing in Terry Lindbaum, as I said, it's like a why hockey wet dream. Bill Zito working his connections in Finland to hire or to get a player who was available, who you could get on a flyer for absolutely nothing. 
and mining your connections in Europe. It's exactly what Y Hockey has been advocating for Listen, for years. Mr. Zito, uh, so close. It's actually Lindholm. It's Hampus Lindholm. Oh, um, oh, oh. I, I, I don't know if it was, you know, it came, it didn't, you know, it, it's my microphone or something. You couldn't hear me last time, but it's Hampus Lindholm who I want you to bring in. But well, listen, this I is mean, also you can very still bring good. In Hampus Lindholm. <laughs> Yeah, again, and that's the beauty of this move. Whether it works out, whether it does not, or what have you, it's a free move that doesn't do anything to change what they were already going to be doing and looking for at the trade deadline. Why not? It's one of those things where it's like, he has connections in Finland. He's using them to find yeah. players. And, Why is that a bad thing? There's nothing wrong yeah, with Yeah, and it. let's it's talk great. about some of the positives. Like, you know, because it's not just... I don't think it's just a flyer. I think it is a well-positioned value bet on on a player who right now is playing good hockey at an age where defensemen usually begin or are at their peak uh and he is a he's a veteran when it comes to playoffs professional hockey obviously he's going to be a new to the nhl you know he's played a little with st louis and a little with their ahl club but you know, that was six years ago or something like that. So it's it's been a while. It's, it's a different league now. But he's he gives the F Florida Panthers a different option. You look at their sixth, seventh defenseman. You know, they want to add a defenseman. That probably puts Carlson out of the lineup, you know, most likely. if And so then... Your, your extra D are Carlson and your Levy. Not bad. I mean, that's better than extra D the Florida Panthers usually have. I mean, but... Carlson and Uyo Levy would have been top four defensemen on the Panthers of the years where we yelled at them constantly. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. But when you look at, okay, they're a little younger. They they don't, you know, Lynn, Lynn, Lynn Bohm? Lynn Bohm? Lynn Bohm, I would think. Yeah, plays a different style. I mean, he's not... He's not Racco Gudis, um, but he's more defensive. He's more um, aggressive. He's going to be more physical. Uh, and he he's, has more playoff experience, whereas Carlson and Yoel Levy, their issue is they haven't played that much. They don't have as much professional experience. Um, and, you know, so it's, you know, what are they going to do, trade a seventh for Kevin Connaughton and back? No, you get, you get somebody like this that gives Brunette a different option um, that, you know, in the playoffs when the roster expands, he's going to have a couple different depth options that, you know, if a D's not playing well or if there's an injury, he can cycle a guy in and, and you know, it, it can fit the system. It can fit the matchup. It can fit whether they're up or down in the series. It can fit how the series is going. Maybe it's a little chippier than anticipated or maybe it's less chippy and less physical. You know, that's all, you know, Give him as many cards to play as possible. You know what's funny about it? Like, remember that series in the bubble where, like, Quenville changed half the defense after one game because, like, <laughs> it's clear he hated the options he had? Like, this is all about can we have better options? Like, right. again, is it a great – is he going to change the world? No. But he didn't cost you any – like, how about the Toronto equivalent is Ilya Lubushkin? Like, that's essentially what they did. And Toronto, I mean, they, that was a fine trade, but, like, the Panthers didn't have to give up assets to do that. They just did it. Like, yeah. that's what NHL teams that are smart should be doing. There is an yeah. opportunity to get players now. 
that you wouldn't otherwise have, and, and obviously Bill Zito yeah. has connections and in Finland. Use them. It fell into their lap. And I mean, that it was they were able to get the deal done right at right before waivers, so they could just throw them on waivers, so people see them on waivers. Have to be whoa, whoa, what the heck? Who's that? You know, look it up to see what happened, uh, and then figure out. You know, I'm sure there are other teams trying to sign him too, and and you know, so there were some teams that kind of knew his preference of where he wanted to play and stuff, but it wasn't likely a waiver claim was going to come. It's, I like it, and you know. I still think, even after getting him, Zito could still probably pick up two two more D. What you know, because we, we're gonna get into. I don't know if you want to start with their deadline targets and stuff, but I, I, I to think start by talking about how they've played in the last yeah. three games because okay. I think yeah. in some cases. So then I'll stop talking. The analysis is 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 okay. They lost three in a row earlier in the year, and then they went on COVID pause. Kind of helped the timing. Now they've lost three in a row after, you know, having a, the three-game road trip where they played pretty well, and, you know, they won in Carolina. They dominated in Minnesota. That was great to see. You know, they did what they needed to do against Chicago, and then they came home, and they got a little bit in their own heads, you know, and they started playing last year Panther hockey and the year before, where it was way too open, too much risk. Goalies are not making saves, but they're also getting left out to dry, and they think you know, they can win because they're the Panthers and they can outscore everybody. And you can't yeah. do that if other teams are going to be playing, you know, the way, like, Nashville played against them. And yeah. kept, like, they, they thought Nashville was going to roll over and they didn't. They thought Columbus, yeah. we scored 17 goals against them and absolutely embarrassed them twice. And Columbus didn't roll over. Yeah. And, and, and I think Edmonton, a little bit is also like, hey, we're going to get 45 shots, 50 shots, so we should score. And it, yeah. if and you get that mentality, you can get goalied in this league. It happens. Even bad goalies like Miko Koskinen can goalie you, and these things happen. And so, I I, I think that team was also a little tired too because they came off of a long break and then they went. Well, and that a that bunch. can't be an excuse for if well, you're a top not, NHL team. Saying, tired is you know, if you're a bubble is, team, like, if you're a bubble team, all those little extra context stuff matters. But when you're this type of team, you know, entering the stretch, they're about. I give them about two more weeks before things start to be like every game you need to start treating more and more like a playoff game. You need to be on every shift. You need to be on every practice. You need to be on every night, you know, eating right, sleeping right, et cetera, um, taking care of yourself, not overworking out. Um, you know, a lot of times guys are starting to go down in their stick flexes and, and things like that and get ready for their uh, playoff equipment. They have certain different playoff equipment. Teams, as you see, are starting to play the Panthers a different way. They're starting to implement um, more of their playoff-style systems and then, you know, reading and reacting to early season tape against the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that is something that we should focus on in in, in the sense that, like you're you're seeing teams that now have pl- either played Florida once or know what they're expecting. Okay, so we'll start with this. Nashville, they didn't play them this year, but they played them a lot last year. So Nashville knows the Panthers, and they did exactly what they needed to do to beat them. Columbus in the first two games, I've never seen an NHL team destroy another one like the Panthers did in those first two games against Columbus, and the Blue Jackets were infinitely better in the third game. And then Edmonton, the Panthers embarrassed them. And yeah, the Oilers kind of stunk and the Panthers got goalied. But 
again, like these teams are now seeing them more often than not. And when you play in the playoffs, unless maybe they play Toronto, who has not seen them at all. Like if you're playing Tampa, the, the, the Tampa knows the Panthers. If you're playing Boston, I think the Bruins know the Panthers yeah. by now. But I mean, I mean, if you and if just we were talking, it takes one or two games to, of playing against them to start to figure it out. So that means by game three in a series, Toronto would is going to be expected to figure well, it out. Well, unless they give up seven goals and Jack Campbell gets pulled when he's winning. Right. Yeah. I mean, that yeah, uh, luckily it's Toronto who I still think is the best matchup for Florida in the first round. I, but I, the more I think about yeah. it, the the more I think Toronto is actually the best from a like stylistic perspective. Here comes our, here comes the flood into our inbox uh, for uh, saying that. Th- th- well, I mean, have you uh, seen uh, Austin Matthews this well, year? Again, I, there are, there are reasons why I think the Panthers actually stylistically do match up with them, but yeah, let's focus on it right there. But just for this, <laughs> but just for the sake of this, like, yeah. They're going to lose games any way yeah. that happens. Like, they were going to lose home games. Like, they were on an unbelievable heater at home that was not ever realistically going to continue. These things happen. Yeah. And and, so, is... and maybe maybe it's the new boards. But I think no, for the— No, don't. The, stop. Please it's don't. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a, oh, they should have brought God. back the cardboard boards from that Red Wings yeah. game a few I'm years finally ago. happy they did this because if you, they want to be taken as a serious team that, that needed to be done. So Apparently kudos on to them. The board since the— since uh, that's, the, uh, since and the that's, arena was built. And that's why I don't want those jokes or anything, because I don't want to discourage the Panthers from spending more money to improve their arena or their fan experience because it's needed. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, like, teams are starting to step up at both blue lines. You know, this is the point of the year where Florida, you know, we're not saying, oh, this losing streak, this team sucks, you need to turn around. No, it's okay this is the part of the year where Florida needs to start realizing how teams are reacting to them and start building the confidence that they can react back, that they can, when somebody figures out one thing, they can go to something else. And, you know, this is where we want to start seeing those levels start happening more rapidly, turning into where, you know, we talked about those two games against Minnesota, you know, Minnesota and I forget who was the first one. Carolina. Carolina. Those were two of their best games of the year. And they they played exactly the way you needed to play in those games. They were playoff type games and they responded. They're going to be wacky on the spectrum from like, you know, what we've seen the last couple of games to what we saw those first games back and forth, back and forth, dialing it in until those two games are the only games they play. That's the goal, and that's yep. what they need to do over the next like three, four weeks until the trade deadline. And then after the trade deadline, it's you know you turn it up to eleven and you just go. It's it's and it's getting yourself into yeah. form. And so, but like you I know, I think the other thing I want to mention here, I've mentioned it before, and I'll say it again. I'm going to say it constantly. Do not focus on the standings. It doesn't matter who the Panthers play yeah. in the first round. They're going to have to beat multiples of those teams anyway. So it doesn't matter who you play in what order. You're still going to have to beat them. So yeah. again, if you have to play Tampa in the first round, that means you got to play Tampa in the first round. If you play Toronto, you're going to have to beat both of them at all likelihood to get to even Carolina. So or or the Rangers. Yeah. Like, that's what that's what I'm it's, talking it's about. It's more about like I'm more yeah. Whether they win or lose, I mean, obviously they're going to win more than they lose. That which is nice to have this season. But is like okay, the teams are stepping up at the offensive blue line and the defensive blue line to force more turnovers at in what's called the gray zone. Just, you know, inside the blue line, outside the blue line on both blues are the gray zones. And, you know, that's where 
that's the teams have realized that's the best place to put pressure on Florida. It really stunts their running gun game, and it really brings out the worst in flaws in some of their best players, like Weegar. Yeah. Um, can I, can I make the, the point defensive. about Mackenzie that I, I made when I was talking with uh, Jack Frazier? By the way, go back and listen to that show from a couple of weeks ago. Jack was awesome, obviously, and you should read his stuff on EP Rankside. A lot of good writers on EP yep. Rankside. Um, yep, I, yep. I think that the thing I talked about with Mackenzie Weger that I mentioned there is sometimes Mackenzie Weger thinks he needs to go hero ball. Like, yep. just go all out. I got to do everything myself. He is an incredible hockey player. But I've seen multiple mm. times in this losing streak where he's tried to do hero ball things and it doesn't work. And, and teams are targeting him because they know if he makes that mistake, we're in clean. We've got chances. Like, and he just needs something... to make the mistake one time. Yeah. And, and, and in the playoffs, if he makes that one mistake, it may cost you a game. We saw that yeah. happen in the playoffs against Tampa last year. And I'm not, again, not saying Mackenzie Weaver's bad. It's just those little things that matter a lot when it builds up in the playoffs. Yeah. And I think that's everybody. I think that's, that's everybody along all throughout this roster and also we got to know all the defensemen who Sasha ended Barkoff, number two all the defensemen who number ended two <laughs> that. Yeah. unless you're sasha barkoff basically or any of the big name players there are fighting now for where they fit in on that game one lineup sheet are you in and if you're in who are you playing with like, so that, that, that's important for a lot of these players who like a guy like Sam Bennett's not going to get scratched, but who's he playing with? Yeah. You know, I, like we're talking about Mason Marchment, like he's not going to get scratched at this point, but who's he playing with? You know, th- these kind of things matter. And, and the and, Panthers have competition at and, all of these and spots. That is exactly why I think Zito is still deep and long on some forward targets at the deadline. I don't, I mean, I don't want to get back into that, but you know, why enough you know because they're trying they're right now it's clear brunette and zito are trying to figure out if they can make this top six work without Tippett and no but and not getting somebody else that's i i honestly think that's what they're trying to assess um and that's that's why marchman's up that's what you know you know is marchman getting able to be marchman in third line in this little instance against these matchups only can we get that going with Verhage and Barkov you know if not him can we get somebody else going you know or do we have to pay a price to get a Claude Giroux or Joe Pavelski um, do you know do you know what's really funny or I was, just I go, somebody useful I go back to this to the podcast with Jack Frazier and he mentioned Brandon Hagel having these ridiculous stats in one area that is really, really critical for the Panthers, particularly in how they play. And I'm like, you know, the Panthers might pull that off because apparently they've been linked with Brandon Hagel. And when I heard Jack yeah. mention those things, I'm like, actually, that makes a lot of sense for what they do and how they play. So we'll, we'll see. Um, by the way, I want to make my stance on awards clear. I think we should just do that just for the sake of argument because we're getting into that season. The only award that I'm going to cop for at this point the only one that I will actively advocate for, it's not Huberto for Hart, it's not Ekblad for Norris, even though those are legitimate, it's not Andrew Burnett for Coach of the Year, it's Lundell for Calder. That's the only one I'm going to cop for. And I, that's, I've decided that's where I'm putting all my eggs in that I, basket. I, I think he should be in the top three, but I, I think I, I, 
I think him and the two rookies from Detroit are the are the top three, and I think because there's an actual defense, I think that being a defenseman and yeah, doing no, look, this as a defenseman is the hardest. I think that should probably win it because yeah. he's a defenseman on a team that's mediocre. But like the argument against Lundell is he plays on the Panthers, and I'm not blaming Anton Lundell for being on one of the best offenses. No, yeah, you can't I, do that. I agree that it's. It just—it's a really good rookie class. When when the when the reason the, the guy's coming in third is because he plays on a good team. Um, and and yeah. again, like Anton Lindell, I think in terms of what we thought he might be, um, he's been <laughs> better than that. I, I honestly, I I totally I think I totally agree with uh, Micah that uh, you could just pay me like a certain set of dollars to just give you like my opinions on a couple draft picks. And I would be worth my, I would be worth like 80 K a year or something like that. Well, yeah. Cause players. I mean, you, 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 you are uh, hard for Lundell. Yeah. And, and you know, I said no to tip it, no to Krause. Like I was hard in the, in those flat refusals. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, um, well, I, you know, I'd hire you, um, but, but like yeah. Lindell's had that, like, again, I'm not blaming him for being on the Panthers. He's been really, really good in the roles they've asked him to play. And yeah. I cannot blame him for that. And the other thing is the Jonathan Huberto uh, defensive <laughs> argument when we're talking about the heart. Like, I think the thing that people have to understand, well, a, the Panthers don't really play defense, but yeah. also like, they're not asking him to do that. That's not what his role is. He, he's on a team with Sasha Barkov. He does not need to do that. You know, They're not even asking Sasha with... Barkov to play defense, man. I mean, like, <laughs> like, like if we're he... thinking about it yet, you know, the, hopefully they start asking everybody to play defense. But right I mean, now... I would like it too in the playoffs. I mean, I know they can. It's just it would be nice to see that. And on the goaltending, because I think we do need to talk about that right now, because for the first time all year they've actually put Spencer Knight in the AHL for what it's worth. And, okay, Sergei Borovsky's not been great. Jonas Johansson is terrible. I think we all knew that. Um the problem that I see with the Panthers and for going for a goalie is not that they sh- shouldn't be looking at it. I, they should. It's who are you going to get that's appreciably better than what you have? Well, and are I mean, you better using be, your assets? Here, here's my point, and here's my counter argument to that because I, I think you do have a point. But my point is, this is last year of Barkov at this cap hit. This is arguably the best year you've had as a as an organization to win a Stanley Cup and I'm including the year they went to the Stanley Cup um, th- this is and you, and you have to take it while it's here I'm pro team load up and the reason is because Bobrovsky's playing good but we're seeing what happens when um you know, a goalie in the regular season is asked to play way too much. Jack Campbell in Toronto. Um, these are goalies that are good starting goalies, but they're not amazing starting goalies. You know, Jack Campbell is probably has a small peak window where he's going to be what his pedigree and, you know, everybody thought it was going to be. Um, and he's finally getting to that now. But Borowski is a Vesna goalie who's declining but still valuable and and is playing well this year and is has a good team in front of him but after that you have Spencer Knight who is still having a lot of games of getting lit up he played two playoff games one was okay and the other one was 
not so okay. That's my opinion. I'm sure other people remember it as I two it was really, really good, good games. In the, like in the, like I'm not blaming him for those two. Games. It was a, it was I'm a not. good you know he had a good game and a not good game. So, you know, fair. Like, I mean, I'm so, not blaming him for that. Again, I'm not blaming young. for him too, but I'm just I'm just stating his resume. This yeah, is not I mean, a value it, statement. And then in the NHL this year, he's been bad. In the AHL this year, he's been inconsistent. Basically, uh, up a seesaw, up and down. Um, where you know, again, half the time you're gonna get 900 save percentage. Half the time you're not. That's not something that. Okay, what happens if Barofsky gets hurt? Then you have Spencer Knight and Jonas Gustafsson. Are we happy with or Johansson? Well, Are we Jonas, happy with that? Jonas Gustafsson would also be pretty bad. I mean, too. yeah, but like you know what I mean, like. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? The same way, you know, they should have somebody who has NHL experience. Somebody who's better than Dan Ellis. But, you know, like... Somebody who's better than Dan Ellis. I'm trying but, to just think of who they could get. I mean, I think it's very possible that they could get Martin Jones from the Flyers. Like, that would be... Like, like you're going to have Spencer Knight and Bobrovsky as playoff goalies. Why not improve from Jonas... Johansson to Martin Jones, because because if you even if you look at Martin Jones's bad years, he's probably three, he he's probably like three goal saves better than like his. Uh, Johansson has yeah, been like yeah. historically bad at the NHL level. Spencer Knight has has been inconsistent. You can't count on him, and you don't want to be forced into risking his development you always want to have the choice of yes i think we should play do you know the one that i would do if you can make it work Kudobin? That perspective what who Kudobin in dallas now he's been bad the one i would be thinking about is thomas grice yeah i mean yeah there's one i mean but even Kudobin's been bad but he's recently been in a stanley cup he's recently played in the playoffs and uh, again if you can give me a good goalie or you can give me somebody with experience, but I want to have, I want Burnett to have three goalie options into the playoffs that are better than the three goalie options he has right now. Cause you're going to get Spencer Knight for free. You're going to, you know, uh, I think he should stay in the AHL the rest of the year because I think that's the best for him. Maybe you can bring him up for spot starts against bad teams. Um, well, like here's the thing two, that I think but... we should also say about this with goaltending as we start to transition to the to the Flyers, which we need to get to. <laughs> the the way Joel Quenville managed the goalies last year in the playoffs was objectively bad. We said it at the time. Right. It still holds true. They pulled Bobrovsky too soon after a game in which he wasn't the reason why they lost, and then they were chasing shadows the rest of the series until the point where they had to play Spencer Knight because they had no other choice. Yeah. In this postseason you don't get multiple chances to change your goalie. You get maybe one a series. Well, and no, I, I mean, the, you know, Ken like, Hitchcock, if you're, you're going to start the Brodsky game one against you, whoever you they change, play, you, can, you get one goalie change. They start the Brodsky game one against whoever by. they're playing. They get one chance to make the goalie change. And after that, you can't do it again. Yeah. But I still want, I still, I don't want, I don't want it to be all right. Bob's bad. So here comes night. Cause it, cause because if it doesn't work out, then who who then what do you have? You then don't you have, have two anything. two years in a row of Bob and Knight being bad in the playoffs. 
then then where are you? I want to. I, I think that goaltending. If you had asked me after the road trip, I would have said it still doesn't seem likely to me. Uh, now I'm going and thinking about it after what I've seen, and I'm going. It wouldn't. I don't. I still don't think it's necessarily going to happen. But we, we got to load shock up. me if it does. We got to load up, and here, here's why. We have we have learned. You don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going. To, what the world's going to be like when when these playoffs go on. People could still be getting COVID. You know there could be. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons the Florida Panthers could need a goalie, and I just. If, you, if they you, the, traded the, for Thomas Grice, three seasons in a row, the, the Colorado Avalanche, the for three seasons in a row, the Colorado Avalanche said, "Yeah, Johansson as third goalie, or somebody like Johansson as third goalie will be fine." And it has been the demo- demonstrable reason they've lost at least two of those years, because yep. they've had two goalies injured, and you and th- and they keep saying, "Well, it's not going to happen again," because those odds are astronomical, and, and then it does, yeah, yeah, and then it does. So yeah. again, I get it. We'll see where they end up. And, as I said, defensemen still. Yeah. And um, I and I. A lot. Of, I, I'm very pro prospect. I'm very pro draft, but people overvalue prospects and draft picks too much. When you're a team that actually should be going for it, you you can't have that luxury of overvaluing. Well, also, if you're the Florida prospects. Panthers and you have the system you have set up. And you're able to sign Mac Gudsda level free agents because you're the Panthers, and you're able to sign guys like Terry Lindbaum off the street because you're the Panthers. You don't need them necessarily as much. Like you can get away with it a little bit more because yeah. you believe because you have your own development model that works. But at the end of the day, it's like you're going for it now, so you can't trade things that help you now, and you have to get better. And so you trade possibilities of being better in the future. But I mean, like you're looking at people are saying that it's going to be hard. They don't, they don't know if they could trade Owen Tippett to get a Hampus Lindholm. They don't know if they could trade an Owen yes, Tippett to should. get a Claude Giroux. And I, I think people are out of their minds. I, yes, you should. I think that the Florida Panthers should be trading Owen Tippett, Grigory Denisenko. I think they should be trading everybody to get Hampus Lindholm, Giordano, Giroux, and a goalie if they can. I mean, this is the time to load up. Those are all players who are playing well. Good character players, playoff experience would make a big difference and play and and fit what this team needs. And I, I think would give Brunette a ton of options. And they're guys who don't have to be the solution. They don't have to even be playoff Sam Bennett. They don't even you know because he's already there. You know Giroux just has to be a winger to be that fifth sixth winger in that top six. Wow. You Sounds know, good like, like that's like, like so people the, like, oh, the well, only, you're bringing the line in all is these Knight players. And Lundell beyond like the line is who's making your actively, you're actively making your team worse. And also, again, I mean, and I have too many. There forwards. is, a, there are scenarios I'm trading Spencer Knight a hundred percent because this is about winning the Stanley cup. And this team is actually close to doing that. So in the right deal, I would trade Spencer Knight. Yes. Fair enough. Anyway, um, that's, that's the Panthers. I hope they start winning again, but they're yeah. they're still going to be more than fine, even if they are not actually. Yeah. You know, and they just need to bear down on their scoring chances. Just because you're shooting a lot 
just because you did score a lot of goals in the past doesn't mean you're gonna score i know some of it's getting goalied and puck luck but a, some of it is also guys they still overpass it at guys, times well that but but more so than that more problematic is that is guys fading away after shooting instead of going to the net guys fading away as they're shooting because they're just you know bear down put all you know take every shot like you have to like you're desperate for a goal because i think that they're losing some of that desperation to score um and that's why i think that it's it's been a little harder for them to turn around on their puck luck and they're missing open nets and things like that um and i think that's something that they can control uh but yeah again i expect big things and that's why i'm saying load up that's why you know and, and i can't remember i think it was in elite prospects premium not to give them too many shout outs and i gave one on twitter the other day uh to them but uh you know too many shout outs but i think it was one of their pieces that was talking about lately like teams are have been overvaluing prospects and now it's a market inefficiency that you can now go out and improve your team much easier if you're willing to part with some prospects or or a draft pick you know, um, you know, as long as it's a good value bet and it fits your team, it, it you should do it. And, and I agree. I agree. So let's also now move on to the, uh, yikes, the Florida Panthers. Speaking of Claude uh, Giroux's former speaking team. Speaking of Claude Giroux's team that he's currently playing on, um, I, I mentioned it before. Um, the Flyers are terrible. They are, they are, I mean, they have just bottomed out completely. And, okay. If the Flyers are seriously thinking we can't trade Rasmus Ristolainen because we don't have NHL caliber defensemen, first of all, what does that say about your offseason? I know Ryan Ellis hasn't played, but you willingly signed Keith Yandel and you said you needed NHL caliber defensemen, and Keith Yandel is not an NHL caliber defenseman anymore. And you need to keep Rasmus Ristolainen because you don't have any. Guys, you're horrible. It's for your best interest to be terrible this year, where you already are. And maybe next year. After that, you can be good again. You only need to be bad for one more year. They're talking and, about a four or five year contract that's six, six and a half million no, for Rasmus Ristolainen. Stop it. Stop yes. it. Yes. Like, this, we are now talking about the Philadelphia Flyers being as bad as Atlanta Thrashers, as bad as Ottawa Senators, as bad as the Florida Panthers were at, at, at one point in time. You know, the, this is a team that's being run like a Mickey Mouse organization, and it's reflected in them waving waving the white flag two three weeks before the deadline i mean hopefully this is a massive for bluff where they're pretending to extend them to get people to hey oh we don't want him to extend it let's let's up our trade value you know our trade package for him but i mean i i can't i can't subscribe uh or ascribe three 3d chess to this front office because they've haven't been able to play checkers i mean you the flyer like again maybe they, i under i i get it it's the flyers they can't rebuild but listen you don't have to tear it down to the studs all right. you need to do is trade whatever isn't nailed down this year next year you've got these young players you look and you see what you have in these young players 
You're not going to necessarily be good anyway because you don't know if Giroux's coming back, and even if he does, he's a year older. You know, you don't know what you're getting out of Ryan Ellis after he missed an entire season and Couturier's been hurt. You have no idea. You might be terrible again next year. Look at what's coming at the end of the rainbow if you're bad next year. Two generational prospects, maybe a third. Yeah. Come on. And just just admit that you need to be bad again. And it gives you a year to work in a new coach. It gives you a year to hopefully work in a new general manager because Chuck Fletcher can apparently go suck it because I hate him. He's terrible. I mean, <laughs> oh, it is, it's like having boring Bobby Clark. Like, at least Bobby Clark was exciting. At least Paul Holmgren got me going and, you know, could have won us a cup if Chris Pronger didn't get murdered. But, like, it's – I can't understand this organization. And I really hope Giroux is gone. And I don't mean just gone at the deadline. I mean gone, never looks back, does not sign back in the off season, And, you know, because – yeah, look fondly back on Philadelphia. Be nice, you know, enjoy. Hopefully he comes and lives here and resurrects the franchise like Marty St. Louis as a head coach in his, you know, later days. Um, that'd be great. I would love it. But go win a cup and forget about them for your playing career because this team, this organization, I've, I've, I, I've, I can't deny it anymore, is toxic poison. And I don't see that changing before the draft, which really scares me. I think that, again, there is nothing wrong if you just say to your fan base, the Rangers did it, the Blackhawks just said it too, the Flyers can say it in the same way, we have a plan, it's going to stink next year too, but we have a plan to rebuild, we know what we want to do, smart Flyers fans know exactly who is available in the 2023 draft. Like, here's the thing. You're getting lapped by the Sixers at but this point. It, you're getting lapped by them. That you're getting lapped be by the in union. You're getting lapped by the union, and guess what? The Phillies might quickly catch up with you because Bryce well, Harper I mean, they're not playing the baseball game. at this point, so we'll hold off on that. That's 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 the point. It's real scary, man, because the, the Phillies could well, still well, again, like by again, virtue of not amounting losses. True. There's hope. And, I mean, again, I say about the Philadelphia Union, too, as somebody who follows, like, the Union are admirable in what they yeah. do. They and the, and they're well run. And, and the fans <laughs> like the, the, the organization and, and you know. Can, can I say that the fans chanted Curtin out at many points in time and it turned out that that was the dumbest thing? Like, they had a terrible team president for a long time, Nick Sakowitz, who apparently is being linked with the Coyotes, and that's terrifying to me because he was horrible with the Union. Just absolutely outright terrible. Yes, That's very was. scary. Um, but beyond yeah. that, again, the, this is a smart sports market, Philadelphia. These fans know what's going on. They don't need to have the wool pulled over their eyes. They can see it. And, and the Flyers need to just admit let's be, it's not working. We let's, are not going to win the cup if we keep doing this. We have to find a way to, again, all these Big teams and big markets can rebuild. And the Flyers don't even have to be bad for two to three years. All they have to be bad for is one more. And if you get a top two pick, you're set. I And I think another thing they have to realize is the fans aren't coming back next year, next season anyway. I mean, they're, they're going to take a huge chunk, a huge hit 
season ticket holders. They're going to take a huge hit from every type of ticket buyer. Um, you know, merchandise is going to be down. Gritty can only do so much. And it's it's going to be bad next year anyway. But yeah. the only way to even spin that with like, because if you're trying to be good and no one shows up, it looks bad. They can get ahead of it and spin it. So when no one shows up, it doesn't look as bad. You know, and they're Comcast. They can take these financial losses. But uh, you're you're completely right that the best way for them to actually the quickest way for them to get back to selling out, you know, winning hockey games, being good is to get ahead of it, have an awkward communication to fans, have an awkward season next year. Um, But guess what? Fans are already tuning out. Fans are already sad. Fans are already mistrusting etc think about it the last time the flyers won a playoff series well i mean they won one in the bubble so like if you're talking non-bubble the last time they won a playoff series was 2012 that's not good think if 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 florida can get to the stanley cup this year and lose right basically having the same run that the flyers did in 2010 um you could look back at the 21st century between the two teams, and yeah, Philadelphia had more success in and everything, but they really didn't. They wouldn't really have accomplished much different, you know, of things being worthwhile, uh, and that's pretty sad. Uh, and, and I think at some point, the Flyers do have to stop pretending, just like the Montreal Canadiens have to stop pretending. They're not the same organization they were during their heyday. They're not that revered respected classic you know it's they're a decaying don't get drunk off your own history yeah, yeah, like you decaying. have that history but don't get drunk and that's why in some ways the panthers have a have an advantage because they have no history i mean if i'm thinking about chelsea today since abramovich is selling the club i mean one of their leading blogs is called we ain't got no history and that's kind of you know it's, it's an in joke but like i actually think that it helps some teams right like you don't have to get drunk off your own history you know like it helps in that in that regard, and as I yeah. said, I just think the Flyers need to admit what they are, and they're not they don't want to admit what they are, and it's, that's terrible. It's, it's and and fighting it is only going to make it worse. And that yeah. and you mean because you look at how they're fighting it, you know, Fletcher is probably going to stay. Comcast is backing. Ristolining's extension apparently, you know, like this is. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the coach isn't going to be a Mike Yo type or Mike Yo. Um, I mean, again, yeah, all it's... I need to look at is what I'm seeing in their results. I know they have injuries and otherwise, but again, I'm sorry. I can't look at the Flyers and go, this is a team that's built to win in the future. Or close not. to it or tweaks away. You, they are not a good team, and it's not going to hurt if you admit, hey, we've got to start over. And if they admitted they would start over, the Flyer fan base would instantly if, say, if you fire the GM, would go, okay, you've done a search, you have a new GM, we're willing to see the new vision, you get a grace period. They could have been so much closer to getting out of it if they just didn't double down last offseason. Like, they would have been just as bad this year, 
maybe even better because I think what they did brought in negatives. Um, but like if they if they got a new coach last year, got rid of AV, didn't get Ristolainen, um, and you know didn't get Ellis, I think that they would be in a better spot. I mean, I like Ryan Ellis and everything, and but I I think I would get. That's how bad the extent extension of Rasmus Ristolainen is if it does happen and you give up the return on investment that you could have gotten him here to make up for what you spent on him. But, you know, getting back what you spent on Ristolining and not with, it would be worth giving up Ryan Ellis battered, injured old Ryan Ellis that we've seen so far. hundred percent. You have to admit if you're in a situation like that, the Montreal Canadians admitted what happened, you know, yep. the Canucks admitted what happened. I mean, the Blackhawks and Ducks were forced into it, but in some ways they need, needed to happen in general. Like eventually a team is going to be bad enough to where they have to admit we got to do something different. And you know what? You, it, the better you admit it, the, be- the quicker you admit it, the better, because yeah. listen, they, there, it's clear. There's a like. Imagine the Flyers if they hired somebody like Matthew Darsh. How much better is that fan base? You know, in their in the way they view the team, they'd be like, okay, we have a new vision. We've got this guy from Tampa where they've won a bunch. That's an organization that runs itself. He comes from a good place. We now can see what he's trying to do. The entire fan base would go, yeah, no. You immediately get a one year grace period, and. I think that's what the Flyers need. You, Jeff Merrick said it in a lot of them. Yeah. You can sell wins and you can sell hope. The Flyers can't sell either of those right now. And that's not really helpful when you are exactly. trying to get back on side after a pandemic. Like, and you can't, you can't sell wins. You can't sell wins next year. There's, like, uh, there's just no way you can sell wins unless you get Connor McDavid. You're not selling wins. Well, I mean, you know what I mean. Connor McDavid has not necessarily guaranteed wins, as we have seen. But like, that's the only way you could sell. Like, oh yeah, we've done enough to, because there's not, there's just no way. They're just way too tied up. Tweet a couple weeks ago, like, where does everyone think Nazem Kadri is going? And one of the options was the Flyers, and I'm like, man, that's gonna be what they do. Oh yeah, it's gonna be like eight times eight or something. It's gonna be, and I'm just gonna be like, well, the good news, Tommy, is. You're here with the one of the best teams in the league right now, the Florida Panthers. Still can't believe I'm saying yeah. that. I just I, I feel bad because there's a lot of good prospects whose careers were just ruined. There's by the Flyers. There's a lot of good players who are stuck there, and like Faraby, Connect me. Able to do with Brian Burke and Pitt. I know I understand that it's you know, you've still got Crosby and Malkin at the height of their powers, but it's yeah. you know, I mean I think I think they did have to get rid of Hexel because they were going to keep a lot of people who were not getting along with Hexel and were clashing with him. And Hexel was, from all accounts, they were both being dicks to each other. Yep. So uh, that was just not going to work. Yep. So I understand that. But, yeah, I mean, it, it the best thing, you know, you go back to what they should – instead of going – in a whole different direction from the Hextall. They should have just made some tweaks to that modus. Okay, he did the real, you know, work and everything, but we kind of, dra- he's done well drafting. He's focused on development. We'll keep some of that, you know, 
but instead they blew it all up and they ran in multiple opposite directions from wherever Hextall was. Uh, here's, what's, and... here's what's funny to me. The Rangers did that too. The difference with the Rangers is they've got Igor Shosturkin, who is the best goalie <laughs> on the planet, who comes yeah. up for every single one of their weaknesses. But, I mean, they've all... They've they also shouldn't had be getting different... away with what they're getting so away with. The Rangers had a lot of early first-round picks that matriculate to the NHL and get, you know, so it moves it a little quicker. The Flyers had a lot of, like, second, third, you know, just had a lot of picks. And, like, some of their, some of their like, second and third first-round picks that they would have in a year were more like Morgan Frost, you know, like, later – type of guys and you know travis sandheim had at the top of the draft didn't work yeah but i mean you look at that you could say the same thing about new york and you wouldn't even know which one i'm talking about this is true well i i think you could say that with both players but you know and and so you know there's just i think there's some difference there and stuff but yeah i mean you you look at there's so many things the flyers could have done um but Yeah, I I mean, it comes do it. it comes down to now. I think for me, the Flyers exist to get rid of Claude Giroux. The Flyers exist to be Comcast, you know, money machine, and they ideally want Chuck Fletcher to do what he did with Minnesota to them, guarantee being in the playoff hunt every year and most years a playoff revenue of at least one playoff series. That's all they're hoping to get out of this team. And it's that, as far as hockey's concerned... I don't want to bias, but that's a very baseball way of running a team, and that is not what I want from my sports team. You are not in sports to make money. If you're a good team, you'll make money regardless. Yeah, whether you think that's okay or not, or the owner's prerogative, I can just tell you that that's not going to work in a town like Philadelphia. Nope. So, so I don't, not, I don't not understand. Not in a town with the Sixers trading for James Harden. Not in a town yeah. with the Eagles. You know, yeah. not in a town with the Union. Yeah, I mean, it's just. There I, are many different ways yeah, to I, win. I, it's perplexing. It's perplexing because, you know, I've talked to, you know, family friends who have seen and were season ticket holders when the Flyers won Stanley Cups. I have people who, you know, they grew up in the 80s when the Flyers almost beat the Oilers dynasty. I have friends, you know, who are my age and grew up with the Lindros and Gagne years and the Ford and Forsberg coming over, coming back, we should say, you know, and Yager and Giroux and all this. And everybody has basically the same feeling. They just don't care as much anymore until Comcast and the Flyers have a paradigm shift in how they view the team and where they are in the NHL and their perspective, you know, how they do things and how old and out of touch they are. I don't think, you know, anything's going to change. And they, you know, they can make small progress, you know, they can fire AV, they can hire some really smart analytics people and kind of start to get them into the system and publicly have some talk about some things um i but yeah i mean i think at a certain point if if it's 20 percent good 80 percent bad everything's going to come out bad in the wash and i think that's where the flyers are um and until 
you know, what we said about the people who run the show change the way they perceive the team and how they operate in the world. Um, it's not going to happen. And that's what it took for Florida. That's what it took for all these other teams we talked about. Um, you know, whether it was forced in their hands in certain ways by life events or whether it was learned through, you know, exposure to different ideas, different um, systems. Or a bad decision that you ended up chasing for four years. (laughs) In the case of the Panthers, you know, like these things can all happen. Whether it's public shame or financial loss or, yeah, or, you know, finally realizing that. Does it also not make you laugh that the Panthers said they, by by like mid-January, like I think it was like mid-February, they're like, oh, we made all our money back from the from the pandemic. Our our TV ratings are the best in like twenty years. Our ticket sales are way up. <laughs> yeah. Amazing what winning does but for you. I, I I will I will say that I've seen. Uh, again, I'm not in the state of Florida, so take that for what you will. But I've also seen a lot of people not renewing because of price increases because they feel like there's less ushers, there's less support, there's less. Um, event people working, the concession prices are way out of hand, um, and the quality's gone down. People have been smoking in the arena at certain points. Cause you know, I've you can go on Twitter and and see all of this. Oh, stuff. I know. I, we so, saw it in the past too. I, you know, well, you know. So I don't want to make it sound like you know we're just no, talking but about. Even but yeah, it's great. Still have issues. Yes, but even. You know, there there has been a great increase in in what the Florida Panthers have been able to bring in at the gate. So, your point stands. Flor- Philadelphia should be have seeing that. Have you also noticed something? On, if you're watching Panthers local TV broadcasts, have you noticed the different level of sponsors they're now getting? Yeah, like that comes when you win. Like, yeah, I mean that that yeah. There's a lot of positives, and I hope that they keep growing. And they grow in a way that, you know, kind of addresses some of the problems that are coming out. And, you know, I, I don't know how Florida as an organization is answering or responding to that. So I don't want to make it sound like they're ignoring it or reacting poorly to Listen, it or whatever. I mean, but concerns are concerns doesn't, and they should be brought up. Yeah. Um, but, that yeah, that wasn't really super much our point. The other The point is just small market teams have seen the financial benefit of quick turnarounds from aborted full-time rebuilds. That's kind of what Philadelphia is in. They're in a more protracted, uh, you know, staled, plateaued rebuild uh, that they tried to accelerate. But we saw, you know, Florida and other teams have been able to extricate themselves and at least get back onto good footing, positive, hopeful footing that fans can start to believe in, that you can see, okay, they can be bubble teams, they can progress, you can see them... Oh, they can win playoff seasons. I mean, seasons. look at look at Calgary and Vancouver. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, neither of those teams were any good. I mean, the Flames, I mean, they just got Daryl Sutter hockey eventually. And what you think of that is what you will. But the Canucks fired everybody, made some good hires. Now there's hope in that marketplace yeah. But, again. I mean, Flames is long-term, keeping a core together, good drafting, you know, putting together – you know, they made a lot of good trades. They made some bad trades, but they made good trades that – that that Hamilton trade worked out for them with Hannafin and Lindholm, uh, Elias Lindholm. You know they, 
you know, they've they've held on to Goudreau. They've used him, developed him, and, and gave him supporting cast. Same with Kachuk, uh, who I thought they maybe put in the NHL too quickly. Turns out I was an idiot. Um, and you know, they've they've done a lot of great things, and it just took a while, and it just took a couple tweaking and stuff. I, yeah. I just don't understand. And, you know, those are, the, yeah, some of the better cases, you don't have to suck for a year. Some of the other better cases, you can kind of turn around in an offseason and stuff. But the Flyers aren't a better case. Uh, they're, they're a pretty standard no. sucky case. Okay, so I think we've covered just about everything. We'll have more yeah. podcasts coming in the short-term future. The next time you hear us talk will probably be after the trade deadline when all the trades are done and we can analyze what everybody's done. Yeah, uh, sir. And yeah, no, and keep your eyes peeled. There's plenty of stuff coming at Y Hockey uh, to enjoy. And uh, I know this is a very stressful time for all of us. <laughs> do what you need to do. If you need to see a psychologist, do that. If you need to go unplug from Twitter, do that. Just relax. Give yourself a break. Anyway, thank you all for listening and good night and good hockey.